Bullet Club. Four, 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 Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. Hello there, everyone. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. Wait, wrong faction. I'm doing the intro for there. You're in, strapped in for another feature show from Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. Debuting for the first time hosting a feature show. It's me, Grant McRobbie. And I'm joined by a very elite two-person team to discuss the history of Bullet Club. Which, let's face it, we know that in, in wrestling it's probably one of the longest histories, despite only being around for eight years. The two people I'm joined by, first of all, the Bathbomb Princess, the head of the Finesse Club for ESSR, Sarah Grieve. Uh, I can't wait to be talking about Chris Baby. It had to go with that for you, you know, Chris Bay. Yeah. Chris Bay is your bae. He is my bae. <laughs> and also joining us, the original member of ESSR, the head man himself that started and unlike the original member of Bullet Club, he is actually still around. It's our own shit version of Fergal Devitt. It is Stephen Wilson. Uh, I don't want to compare myself to a Bad Luck Fale or a Tamatonga. You know, I don't really have that kind of thing about me. You know, I don't have fins, abs either, so I'm probably a bit more like Fale in that way. But no, aye, good to be here. Yeah, if I was going to say anyone was like Fale, I would have maybe went for Ross. Yes, we are here to discuss. We've got a lot to talk about Bullet Club, probably more than what you can fit into one show. So we are just going to spitball this and see where it goes. Before I go into that, though, if you want to listen to our previous feature shows where we have discussed other members of Bullet Club in the past in different shows, you can get us on our socials at Suplex Retweet on Instagram, Twitter. You can get us on Facebook, the Facebook community page. Please interact. We have just recently recorded the new quiz showdown. Quiz Nut Showdown 14, TV edition, or as I also like to call it personally, we fucking broke the wheel. My two <laughs> guests here were present for that, that absolute Fickin fiasco last night. Fucking supernatural. <laughs> well, the context when, you, when you all get to see that. Don't what you don't understand. Don't that's what you don't understand. And very true, it's very true. <laughs> and I, I was chosen as the okay. unlu- unlucky person to try and helm this because I am one half of East Meets West, unfortunately. My Chris Charlton could not join me. Scott McLeod, he is he is busy being a real working man. Working men's club. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, there is no better time to dive into what's going on with Bullet Club than going back to the start of the Bullet Club. All the way back to 2013, when a fresh-faced young Fergal Devitt, who everyone now knows as Finn Balor, and just a plug for Stephen... Stephen did have the luck of getting to interview Finn Balor recently. Love a little bit clip. You should really give that a listen. Well, let's cast our eyes back when he was known as Prince Devitt. Some of us even saw him back in his ICW days under that gimmick. And it was on the end of some very successful junior heavyweight champion work where he feuded with Hiroshi Tanahashi. Still a face. Lovely, lovely events. But... Do we all remember what happened after he lost to Tanahashi? Have either of you watched sort of back to that initial period? Uh, I've read up about it. I've not really had the chance to watch a lot of that stuff, but 
I think it was uh, fair to say he was a bit as good as a, an athlete as Finn was. He was a bit bland at that particular point. He was very much a goody goody two shoes type guy, and this was the start of him stopping becoming a bit of a goody two shoes, a bit of a disrespect, breaking the old honour code. Yeah, that's that's pure right, Sarah. Did you see any of that sort of stuff, Sarah? <laughs> I mean, I did. I have watched it back, and like, let's just face it: the the amount of times if you lose to Tanahashi, God knows how many times, like, you're gonna get pissed off because he's he is like, well, we I, we call him the John Cena of New Japan, um, but it's because he's like the most loved ever, and I don't think anyone will actually ever hate him. Um, so of course you're going to start being a bit of a dick if you keep losing. <laughs> yes, he definitely did. And as one of my favourite backstage comments from him goes, I do not give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Still one of the most one of one of the best things I've ever seen come out of Fergal Devitt, Finn Balor, whatever you want to call him these days. But yeah, um, after much attempts at getting back, a eventually him and the wonderful man with a steel ass. Ryusuke Taguchi failed to recapture the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Championships from a team, in my opinion, one of the best ever to grace the ring, the Time Splitters. Who isn't a fan of them? I love the Time Splitters. <laughs> and during that time, Devitt did turn on Taguchi and he was helped by the returning, everyone's favourite member of Bullet Club, <laughs> King <laughs> Sally. Ah, <laughs> uh, it, 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 it's. It's pretty much because he's an OG that he gets some sort of credit, but if he had came in at about the time that Chase Owens came in, you'd be like, he'd get even more hate than what he gets now. <laughs> That's it. They, they, he was introduced as the sort of the bouncer for, for Fergal Devitt, the underboss, um, Bad Luck Valley, and this is when Finn, well, Fergal finally came under the real rock and roller gimmick, which a certain later member in time kind of taken that on for his own own personal purposes. I'd love to see them feed over it one day. Mm-hmm. Let it happen. But yeah, Devitt and Fally teamed up for a little while um, starting there and then eventually we got the third OG member when the machine gun, Carl Anderson finally, finally stepped into things and let's face it, at that time we can all say Anderson was a fantastic singles wrestler at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. Kind of people may see him much as a tag wrestler, these if you've only tuned into him on his WWE run, you know. But before that, we spoke in the past on shows, the G1 show we did about some of the matches he's had in that. Uh, he's had a couple of matches in Impact recently, Sarah. I think I'm right to say that he's been able to show off his singles stuff a bit better. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, definitely. Like, I actually think he's very, very underrated now as a single star. Um, but luckily, like, every now often in Impact, you do get to see it. Exactly. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing to watch Carl Anderson step into to become the machine gun again. And <laughs> one of one of the like one of the best sort of intros like coming into the coming into the ring. And as they were doing their attack on Tanahashi, they were also joined by Tamatonga. And at that point we then had the birth officially and this was at Wrestling Dontaku twenty thirteen, May the third we finally had the all-gaijin stable named Bullet Club. And that was what set them apart from all the other factions in New Japan at the time, because we know New Japan loves a faction. They love a faction so much, you could probably we could probably do a feature show on them every single year for the next four or five years and still keep going. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, these these guys all teamed up together. Um, really sort of setting a kind of a big upset in Japan because while New Japan did have a lot of heel factions, Chaos were a kind of heel faction at the time, you had GBH and that, to properly come in and exploit that. I don't know if you would agree with me here, saying almost like how American wrestling used to always put the foreigners as the bad guys. I mean, they still the do, but yeah. <laughs> I think I think there was a thing about it. Uh, the original plan, like David said, Balor said this in the past, I think the original plan was just for him and Fale to be a team, kind of be like the modern J- uh, New Japan version of uh, Shawn Michaels and Diesel, which seems to be the comparison that every, guy, every team makes if it's a big guy and a small guy. But, and then I think, as a gay dog, I think apparently he comes in and goes, why don't we just chuck the other two foreign guys in? And it's like, Anderson and Tonga, but obviously, I think that at least the four of them had a bit of, they knew each other quite well because they came through the dojo around about the same time as each other, Anderson and uh, Devitt especially together, and Tonga has a pedigree, obviously, second generation, well, technically a second generation wrestler through uh, Haku, you know, it's if, if you want a menacing guy in there, let's put Haku's son in. You know, that's going to terrify the life of everybody. Haku still ter- terrifies everybody when he shows up, but whenever he does. He was, was he, he was on the AW with uh, Hikaleo, I think, the other week as well, and I still was terrified by him. Yeah. <laughs> that is very true. Haku is a terrifying man, and as someone who sat beside him and had his hands round his throat, I know how terrifying it really is. Oh, you're a big, scary man. He is. He may be shorter than me, but I would not argue with him or his two sons. Absolutely Definitely. not. Never. But yes, this started a, a wonderful, wonderful time where Devitt was still junior heavyweight and he decided that he was going to move up to the heavyweight division. And who better to go for at the time than Stephen's favourite wrestler? Yes, the one and only Rainmaker, Kazuchika Okada. <laughs> oh, did we have to talk about him? I thought I was going to have a show we didn't need to talk about, talk about actually, no, let's be brutally honest, we're talking about Bullet Club, he's intertwined with that stable quite a lot, <laughs> and the best thing about Bullet Club is they beat him up all the time, and they couldn't beat him in matches, only one really, very rarely they beat him in matches, you know, but he did get the shit kicked out quite a lot, which is good. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the thing, it's like Bullet Club back then, um, a lot of people sometimes forget that later on in life with the Bullet Club if they maybe didn't start watching until later on but Bullet Club at the beginning were just complete heel dickheads oh yeah it was amazing it, it was it was honestly it was a, it was a beautiful thing to, to like to watch them go and steamroll over the likes of Okada with beatdowns Naito Tanahashi Kojima Maccabee they, they, they just seemed to have never ending feuds yeah that was kind of the it was something different in New Japan because I don't think until that point in time we didn't really see that kind of classic American heel style which WWE have, um, you know, mastered at points. I say mastered. Some points they do it really well. Some points they just do it too much. But it wasn't really... You, uh, Japanese fans didn't really see that much. They were just used to this hard style, technical style that we still do see quite a lot in New Japan pro wrestling. So it was kind of... It added a bit something different. And I think that's what kind of helped them stand out in the beginning that they were just... Didn't give a fuck. Safety thing it said, they didn't really care. And yeah, that's how they made an impact. And I think it is what massively what Balor Devitt really needed at that point in time because he was talented, you know, he was he's got he had all the tools. He was just missing that extra something. And I think that kind of real rock and roller type style arsehole 
dick heel that you arsehole dick that you would meet in the bar it was kind of <laughs> perfect arsehole yes, yes. dick heel <laughs> yes Sarah that's a technical term did you not know <laughs> is it arsehole dick heel <laughs> just sounds like something I'm sticking with it I'm not, I'm not changing it. I'm, sticking with it. I'm, I'm going with it. It sounds like some sort of new dance in the club. Eh? Have you tried the arsehole dick heel move in the club, by the way? <laughs> arsehole dick heel. You're like, well, what? Uh, but yes, so, you know, they, at this point in time, it was still almost exclusively a New Japan thing, but they did, because of the working relationship, there was some extension into Mexico. We had a couple of CMLL Ta- um, sort of tag runs in amongst all this um, you know because New Japan has always had their working relationships, Mexico with CMLL Ring of Honor America Rev Pro in the UK you know, they like to get their fingers in everywhere, they were the silent partners but this all kind of, like the, the Mexico stuff, I'm just going to skip over that, let's face it, it, it wasn't the most exciting of stuff in the Bullet Club history yeah. I've, I've, I've watched some of it it's not the best yeah, and Ray Bacara, Ray Bacara, I can't pronounce his name, but you know the guy I'm talking about. He's like the kind of, see when you get the WWE games and it's like the, you have the styles of like actual wrestlers that you can mix. It's like they take some aspects of Kenny Omega, some aspects of AJ Styles and then like just randomise these moves. <laughs> you know, it's just like, nothing really stood out about him. He always appears in the early photos and you're just kind of like, who the hell is that guy? You have to always look him up. But yeah, see, it there. wasn't oh, great. <laughs> And then, you know, Bullet Club, they, they had their, their kind of four mainstays. They had some additions from Mexico. But really, the next big addition happened a little bit later on, October 25th. Let's face it, it's a favourite tag team of mine. I'm sure you both agree with this. This was a fantastic addition for them. The Young Bucks joined them. Yeah, I would say, like, they were, they were really starting to make waves as well. So having, like, this is their breakout in Japan... It was. It seemed to be like the perfect thing, and plus, like, from the current AEW run, that they can't be dickheads and make you really, really hate them. Yeah, it, it, they, they, they stood out to me because I remember obviously seeing their, uh, their TNA work, uh, and when they were, at, they just kind of disappeared from TNA at one particular point. I can't remember what it was, but um, yeah, and then I noticed them in the, the Bullet Club. I was like, oh, they two guys for TNA. And started to kind of give a bit of traction to it. And they obviously weren't as big names then as they were now, but they were, everybody knew they were good. And they're, they're working with the machine guns and TNA was, you know, a testament to that. Yeah, that's it. You know, they, they've, they've got that history. And, you know, Bullet Club, just this was probably the start of really the rapid expansion because not long after the Young Bucks came in, when they sort of entered for the, the junior tag stuff, not not even long after in the same year because let's face it, Bullet Club likes to keep a presence at every single division. We needed an extra tag team for the heavyweights, and who else debuted but Big Daddy Dangly himself, as he's calling himself now, Doc Gallows. <laughs> Which is still to me a gimmick that has got so over with me. Who'd ever thought a dangly ring would become a thing that just makes you pop? Uh, yes, they they made their sort of a, they debuted in the World Tag League. Um, it kind of to me like this was kind of the first formation to me where Bullet Club was properly a whole team, fully bona fide. What do you guys think on that? I mean, it definitely it brought a big round 
to the divisions as well because like like you said like when it comes to factions and they like to have like little mainstays in each of the divisions just just like yep we've got our we've got our junior tags we've got our junior heavyweight we've got the person looking for a heavyweight we have a big enforcer um it's like why not have like this other tag team and you're like the chemistry between like Gals and Anderson even from the get-go was just you knew that they were going to end up being like one of the best tag teams in the world at this point like, and this was even at the start and uh, Gallows really needed it because it showed in flashes in WWE ah, <laughs> I wasn't going to mention Festus. I was going to mention the Straight Edge Society, but if you want to mention Festus, you can mention Festus if you want. <laughs> you can't even like see when I see when I actually first seen Luke Gallows as Festus. I didn't even recognise him. So like to see him go from that to that, you're just like, yeah, Japan did good for him. I mean, he was also in one of the other greatest stables of all time in wrestling, in Aces and Eights as well. Yeah. <laughs> I'd rather talk about Festus and Aces and Eights. <laughs> I mean, I, I just love, I, I, I've, we've always got to mention whenever Festus comes up, we just have to mention the fact that Festus was in WWE, he left, and then Vince rehired him and probably at one point went, wait, that's Festus? Oh my God. <laughs> he surprised me, by the way. <laughs> I can honestly picture, like, if I could picture Vince McMahon on Google is Doc Gallows Festus. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you that's expiring. what happens. Because, like, I bet you didn't even recognise Drew, like, when the change between him leaving WWE and coming back, and he's just like, wait, that's Drew? I thought this was a different Drew Galloway I was hiring. <laughs> we had Drew Galloway. Did we have Drew Galloway at home? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like this was the kind of like this was the, the first kind of stable lineup, and it, and it lasted well as long as anything does last in pro wrestling because you know we had this wonderful group of of talented individuals. They did have numerous title reigns, that but all good things must come to an end. Vince must be a greedy bastard and get his money involved everywhere. Mm. <laughs> I'm going to be bitter about this because I still think he left too early, but yeah. It all kind of came up to a point with a loser leaves town match between Devitt and Taguchi. Not Tanahashi people, Taguchi. I know people probably just think of him for taking spots to his asshole these days, but the man is a very talented wrestler. Big match, Taguchi. Don't under underestimate him. And this was where I think I've noticed a pattern. I wonder if he's agreeing this, the fact that Devitt had these loser leaves town match. He got into an argument with the Bucks after they kept interfering. This led to the Bucks turning on Devitt. Um, and after Taguchi defeated Devitt, they shook hands, the rivalry was over. Kind of, and it culminated with Devitt going back to being a face, resigning from New Japan, because this was when he was going off to WWE. And it kind of feels, I don't know if you feel the same, but it feels like every time a leader in Bullet Club is on his way out, they pretty much go face every single time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's mm-hmm. a, it's a common thread. And the Bucks are usually involved somehow. You know, they are uh, they're involved in this one. They're a, heavily involved in AJ Styles. I know he wasn't a leader. They were heavily involved in Adam Cole's departure from the group. Um, let's be brutally honest. That the that New Japan will strike a deal with Tony Khan and he, they'll be the ones who kick evil out the group eventually. Uh, <laughs> you know, they're just going to be... I know, um, know Tama Tonga's the firing squad, but I think uh, 
The Bucks are the true firing squad of the Bullet Club legacy. <laughs> yes, I would actually say that's quite an adamant, uh, like quite an apt comparison because yes, the Bullet Club, uh, the Bucks are usually involved in. We won't go too much into the whole Adam Cole leaving situation. We both talked about this before, but it's been My slightly dad. tarnished. It's been tarnished for us what happened after who they brought in. Oh, it was such a great moment as well. They did it so well. It was so good. And then, ah, the guy involved. Oh, my God. What a, <laughs> what a dick. See, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, at this point, Bullet Club had been around 2013. We're into 2014. And our second leader stepped out from the shadows. To me, personally... He's he's probably my he's he's my joint top pick for my favourite leader of the Bullet Club. AJ Styles debuted. And what an what a way he done it in by going straight for Take a guess, people. <laughs> Okada. Who'd have thought Okada would be involved again? <laughs> uh, I wish he wasn't. No, joking joking, joking aside. No. Uh, it's initiation. You've got to go through Okada to join Bullet Club. What What's great about the Bullet Club leader aspect of it is they seem to kind of up until Evil, you know, he's the, he's the, but even even in some way they kind of all got the leader and kind of stepped up and stepped forward and took on the mantle from the previous leader. It wasn't just like it stayed at a level ground, you know, kind of like you know when Punk takes over the Nexus, nothing really feels massive about it. But the thing. Styles, uh, the thing that Devitt couldn't do while he was leader was win the title. And Styles comes in, does it straight away, and boom, the trajectory increases. And that's what they seem to do really well with a lot of the leaders until, you know, recent times, you know. But <laughs> the first three leaders anyway, they kind of seem to take it forward and make something bigger, which was great about it. They didn't really seem small, didn't seem like overshadowed or anything. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, like AJ, AJ coming in, going after Okada, um, who he knew from his days working in TNA, claiming that Okada was still the same young boy uh, that he'd known in TNA. And I, I'll be honest, I absolutely loved kind of AJ's way of coming into it. He did. He completely elevated it, and to me, it's part of the point where they became a global brand, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. He's a massive name, you know. He's his TNA run was, you know, very well known and it was always, I think he was Mr. TNA to many people. We've spoken about it in shows in the past uh, and from to that, then people thought he's moved out of his comfort zone will he be the same impact? But no, I think, he, I think he gels very well with the guys in the group. I think he still does to this day even though he is a WWE guy. Good old Uncle, Uncle Alan. Gotta love Uncle Alan. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, like they they had some absolutely like this was also a point where more Ring of Honor stuff happened. Um, like for example, Sarah, I'll ask you about this one. What do you think about when it was uh, the Young Bucks and they had a bit of a feud with Red Dragon? Mm. Ah, ah, one of my favorite <laughs> rivalries ever. It's just magic. So much magic. You know. <laughs> They yeah. even got to show. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. No, it was uh, like there's not really much to say except from it was magic, and it was a pure, you know, heartwarming thing to watch. Just the fact that you're like, ah, this is wrestling. This is tag team wrestling. If anyone hates tag team wrestling, watch this. 
Exactly. This was a, a beautiful time for, and it was kind of a, a point that a couple of surprises within Bullet Club for title reigns as well, because there's two title reigns I, w- I want to bring attention to here, which completely to this day still bamboozle me. The first one was Badlock Valley beating Nakamura. Yeah. For the Intercontinental Championship. <laughs> oh, so I remember, I remember watching that, like watching that back, and I'm like, "Why? Why would they do that? <laughs> what did you do to my boy? <laughs> what did you do to my Shinsuke? Although now he's become a king, so I don't know who's really got the short end of the stick here. Exactly. It's just, it's just <laughs> such a su- such a weird one. And, and talking of sticks, I'll go to Stephen for the next one. <laughs> A man that quite often has his, his pimp stick, the, the pimp club, Yujiro Takahashi, bringing over the open weight belt to Bullet Club. <laughs> I mean, there's a, there's a, as great a stable as Bullet Club is, there's a list of guys associated with Bullet Club that I'm just like, eh? Like, I mean, don't just the pimp. I mean, his impact to Bullet Club is interesting, you know, because he was the first you know, Japanese wrestler to kind of come in. And it helps uh, solidify the, the bastardness of the Bullet Club by saying, ah yeah, we can bring some of your guys in here and they can be dastardly too. <laughs> but he's still there. I mean, why is he still there? I mean, surely <laughs> there's something. I mean, there's him. There's Chase Owens. I mean, why the heck is Chase Owens still there? I do not know. He's in the bloody G1 as well. Uh, of course, there was Cody Hall with the worst haircut in the world. Uh, oh, my God. I mean, if Scott was here, we'd be here all day talking about Jeff Jarrett's brief run in Bullet Club. <laughs> oh, man. The original Bone Soldier is a, is a bad one too, but Fally has his place. He can come in... Be the bouncer, beat people up. He should not be beating Nakamura for the Intercontinental title. He should not be wrestling in G1 all the time. He should not. You need people in the G1 to be there to lose, okay? But you can't have everybody can't, running all the time. Just beat a bushy. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's not like he lost. I mean, last year made much more sense because he lost that even won the last one. Like, ah, fair enough. But he just beat Abushi. I mean, I know the Abushi came back from you know pneumonia, but of all the guys he could have lost in the first match. Yeah, sometimes you do that. You can't say that getting like massive attention by having someone like Yujiro Takahashi beating two-time back-to-back G1 winner Kota Abushi is not absolutely hilarious and it brings attention it brings it and you're like what the fuck I want to watch that match and then laugh about it about a week I, later I mean yeah, I, I did watch it you know it was, it was yeah it was not the best match of that night Tangaloa's in there I mean put Tangaloa give him the win I think one of the most beautiful things about this is that I was joking before that like because Scott's not here you know there's not going to be any rambling about anything just out of the blue but there you go <laughs> Taking over the gimmick of Scott McCloud is our very own Stephen Wilson. That's gimmick infringement, my friend. Oh no! <laughs> I, was, I was I was partly on track, you know. It wasn't it wasn't completely on tangent. Next see- article, next article from Stephen Wilson. Twenty reasons why Yujiro Takahashi should not be in the G One. 
it's absolutely crazy. I mean, like you look at you, you have mentioned some brilliant points here, like the fact that Jeff Jarrett was in, and I still love the fact that Jeff Jarrett's one of his last moments in Bullet Club. His outside interference was stopped by the returning Yoshi Tatsu, who I keep forgetting was in WWE as well. So it's like, ah, uh, 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 yeah. I mean, Jeff Jarrett. Uh, see this Jeff Jarrett Global Force Wrestling stuff. It's one. It's going to go down as one of the darkest periods in wrestling history. And the fact that he got into Bullet Club to help promote Global Force Wrestling. Uh, honestly, that's absolutely, absolutely unreal. But yeah, so you know, we had we had this kind of um, random slew of members coming in, but then later on in that at that at that point, November eighth, power struggle. In my opinion, possibly the biggest member they they got in regards to overall impact in the wrestling world. The cleaner, Kenny Omega, joined Bullet Club going after Devitt's old pal Taguchi for the Junior Heavyweight Championship. And to me, this was an interesting one because Omega, while being a gaijin, didn't consider himself a gaijin because he'd been living in Japan already for six years. Um, and I love what he'd done. is like the most stereotypical dickhead thing. It's like, yeah, I know I'm fluent in Japanese, but I'm not going to speak Japanese anymore. Fuck you all. <laughs> <laughs> so just because I can doesn't mean I will. And, you know, I think if we're, if we're like you have both seen some of this, like how different was the Kenny Omega back then at that point, just joining as the cleaner to the Kenny Omega that we know now? Mm. The cleaner is probably one of my most favourite. I don't know what it is about it. It's just pure magic. And I don't believe him. <laughs> it's, uh, it's great looking back in Kenny's rise up the up from that particular point to be one of the guys who gets battered in the early Bullet Club days because he was, he obviously faced Devitt in the semi-finals of the Super Juniors to getting the cleaner gimmick and going in there and then he just evolving you know and becoming the megastar that he is now it's just it's unbelievable and I think it's a it'd be mental to think where both the Bullet Club and wrestling as a whole would be after they bring him in to be kind of the junior heavyweight guy at that point, crazy. Yeah, Un- unreal impact. Um, and you got it's one of those big what ifs. Like, what if Kenny Omega never joined Bullet Club? Because pretty quickly in, like 2015, January 4th, his first official match, Wrestle Kingdom 9 under the Bullet Club, and he, he immediately wins the junior heavyweight championship. It was. It was a heck of a, a thing. And then the following day, we had the complete disappointment, which you already mentioned was Cody Hall. They needed a young boy. It's fine. <laughs> they needed someone to bully, and Cody Hall was just perfect for that. No, it's, like, it's the fact that he's fucking massive as well, though. So it's like we're going to bully the young boy that's like bigger than any of us apart from Fally. Yeah, see, that's what makes it really funny. It's a little guy, Carl Anderson, beating like beating up and like giving abuse to someone that's like twice his size. You're like, yeah, <laughs> he can beat him up, but he's not allowed. The only, thing, the only thing that Cody Hall could do was his dad's move. That was pretty much it. You know, he was just he would just raise the edge. That was it. You know, it's like, yeah, cool. But nah. And they, they got him out pretty much, you know. Chase Owens an upgrade, I think it's fair to say. <laughs> just just that's like that's yes. stretching it, but that's saying that's being nice to Chase Owens as well. 
And also, it was kind of like all during this kind of period, not long after we kind of hit like the May 2015, and we had I've got I've got to mention this because it, the, the the clips from it still make me absolutely piss myself laughing. Um, was the Bullet Club match, which involved the first New Japan match to feature female wrestlers in over 12 years, which was Carl Anderson, Doc Gallows, and his wife Amber Gallows against Maria Kanellis, Matt Haven, and Michael Bennett. <laughs> and I still. <laughs> Howl laughing. It, it, it's it's Anderson selling of seeing a woman. Oh, is it? Is that that? Is that that? Aye, 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 aye. <laughs> I, I was thinking. I've not seen that match, and then that was that part. Is that? But yeah, I've seen. That's that gif. I've seen the gif. <laughs> that's that gif. <laughs> it's just. It's just funny. It's like look. It's like look at what. Oh my god! It's a woman. <laughs> He's doing the. <laughs> The little, the little dance, you know, back in the early days before before he had the hot Asian wife. Because <laughs> Carl Anderson always likes to remind us that he's got a hot Asian wife and, like, 1,800 children. Yeah, <laughs> the way wrestlers get more children is Matt Hardy. <laughs> oh, my God, it's like a competition between the two of them. It is. I mean, remember, like, it wasn't even long after Rebbe had just had, had the baby girl that they were pregnant again. You're like, right. are you okay to pop them out? I'm calling it about 20 years time. There's going to be a big, massive feud involving the Hardy family and the Anderson family. Book it. <laughs> it's in the making already. <laughs> but yeah, like, you know, I've got, oh my God, it's final deletion all over again. <laughs> I'm just going to throw the children into the, the lake of reincarnation. People do not do that at home. Do not throw your children in the lake of reincarnation. It's dangerous. Uh, maybe. It could be. We don't know. <laughs> We've never tried to throw a child into a lake. If you try it, please let us know how it goes for <laughs> gimmick purposes. Please, please don't try send, send gifts. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, uh, so we, we we move on from like the obviously that was a big historic moment, and we are all about historic it's moments here in ESSR. Um, again, Bullet Club going through their trials and tribulations. Lots of ups and downs, titles going back and forth. Um, but really, to me, the big thing I like to bring in here is the huge introduction of Chase Owens. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to fucking big up Chase Owens coming into Bullet Club. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it leads start to, to me, one of the most historic matches in Wrestle Kingdom history. Ah, historic. 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 Let's say we have, we have all talked about this match many a time. Possibly one of the greatest matches of all time, in my opinion when Styles unsuccessfully challenged Nakamura for the Intercontinental Championship. Yeah, yeah. He he, he could not do what Bad Luck Valley could. That's the same thing <laughs> I didn't think I would say, but there we go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great match. Great match, you know. Perfect uh, perfect end to Styles' kind of New Japan career, I think it's fair to say. It's just... It does then lead to what you mentioned, Grant, of the whole, yeah, he lost a match, he kind of has a bit of respect, and then that's kind of it. It's, yeah, so it's, 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 people say WWE's repetitive. <laughs> <laughs> I think Japan's just doing the wise thing, that they repeat these events only about once every two or three years, whereas, like, WWE repeat, like, how many John Cena and Randy Orton matches did we get up to? Did we hit, like, 490 or something? Mm. Oh god, that's going to be a Saudi Arabia match in about three years' time, and we're all going to be like, "I've not seen that in ages." <laughs> <laughs> it's literally going to be a nostalgia match. Oh my god! And the thing is, we'll be able to call it. We'll be able to like, be like, he's about to do the five knuckle shuffle. He's about to dodge it. He's about to no. fake into the RKO. The lightning fist of doom. 
Oh my god! See, see if he breaks out. I swear, I will actually pop for that because it's such an awful move. <laughs> but yes, um, so you know, we had we had our usual our our usual way of kicking someone out in Bullet Club. You know, you showed respect for someone that isn't in Bullet Club, so I'm you gotta go, son. But this was kind of like a, a big major one compared to like the previous one because not only did they lose Styles, Gallows and Anderson also went to the promised land of WWE. Butchie went to his home planet and died. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this was um, the kind of like, this was then Omega coming in to take over leadership and just going fuck it, I'm going heavyweight. And I'm also, not a junior anymore. <laughs> I'm not a junior anymore. I'm a big boy. And led to the, the like sort of the subgroup, which for me was actually probably the subgroup which kind of revitalised my love for pro wrestling. Did for a lot of people. The elite came into things finally. Be, Can you believe that it was like be, five years ago? Be, be the elite. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think the the thing about the elite, which took things a bit different, was the kind of the Bullet Club for the three years before that. They were, as we've mentioned, they were just wanted to be heels. They wanted to do dirty tactics and that type of stuff. The elite kind of wanted to. They were kind of the beginning of this kind of cool heel type of thing, which they've you know mastered in a way. And I think that's what kind of it was a different level of marketing altogether. You mean, I mean. The original kind of stable, they got popular, but they were they were mainly just about, you know, being the bad guys to the Japanese guys over there. But these guys wanted to become megastars, and, you know, they did that. And then that's where the links with the Ring of Honor then there, they brought guys in. Some of the natives, obviously, you'll talk about them. Cody comes in, fresh off of a WWE release, and I think that's where you kind of feel like this could go somewhere to a different level. And... Five years later, let's be brutally honest. That's it. It was a huge, huge change to things. And Omega said some comments on the back of that, which, Sarah, I want, I want, I want your opinion. Because Omega kind of added his opinion that Anderson, Gallows and Styles' departures had watered down the Bullet Club's ranks, which is why he wanted to push the elite to the forefront, claiming that Bullet Club had been doing some really cool stuff, but it was really all about him and the Bucks. I mean, it is a very, very backhanded comment because you're like, excuse me, the Bullet Club wouldn't have been around or at least successful without those guys. So it's like, wait your turn. Your turn is coming of being the forefront. Um, for saying it watered down the ranks, I mean, it's not wrong in a way. Like, see when you talk, like when you look at the members, you don't even, you forget that like you had bad luck, bad luck Valley is still being like an OG member. You completely forget about that. Um, as well as like you know when they bring in the rest of rest of the guys, especially um, God, what was his name? I can't remember his name. What's his name? What was his name? Oh God, what was his name? Who is and- it? It was his name. I can't. Oh, it was Tamatonga. That's what's name. I was. It was a Tamatonga or Tangaloa. I couldn't remember. Right. It was, Tang- it was Tangaloa that comes in at this point. Tang- Tonga's there. Yeah. Um. But like when you forget, like even when later on, like when we talk about it, like the the literal, um, 
what is the word I'm looking for? Uh, the, the overflow? <laughs> no. The basically, it's basically like the rebirth, right? And f- filtering out, right? All the, the, the so-called, you know, posers and everything like that. Um, like when they took Bullet Club back, essentially everyone forgets, you know, that um, Tonga was actually an original member because at this point the forefront was literally about these so-called foreigners in Kenny, the Bucks, Styles, um, Gallus and Anderson. Like you do forget. And it made it, it basically felt like that was the that was the faction. And then you just had these other guys that just appeared with them and you're like, I don't know that guy. He's not fun. I don't yeah, pay attention to him. Guys that could kind of pad the numbers out, um, kind of so that if they had to take losses, you didn't put the losses on yeah, your big the fall names. Guys. Mm-hmm. But then, Every faction oh, needs a fall guy. That's <laughs> it. Chase Owens. Got so many fall guys now in Bullet Club, it's just hard to choose one. But you know, yeah, like T- Tangaloa came in um, not far after this point. Um, and then to me, like two outstanding additions came in May that year from Ring of Honor, where we got. Adam Cole, baby. You know it's all about the boom. (laughs) (laughs) And the other Adam, my favourite Adam, the one that that I always remind myself of when I'm drinking, Hangman Adam Page. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Ah, you you kind of forget at points that these two were in the Bullet Club at at point. I mean, when you go back to the Cole getting kicked out, it kind of reminds you, but Page, you know, he didn't get kicked out, he got murdered. No, he got kicked out, then he got murdered. He got murdered differently. You know, these are different events. You get murdered on being the elite to get kicked out on Ring of Honor. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, yeah, Paige, he was kind of, he was there, but he just kind of floated about the background. You were like, uh, they, they see something in this guy, he walks it, he hangs about with him, and then when they eventually take him over to All Elite, you start to see the potential fully. I mean, it was kind of there. But, yeah, I kind of forget how the Paige's part of the Bullet Club a lot of the time. It's a, it's a shame because of all the, a lot of the guys in there, he's probably one of the most, the development of him has been brilliant since the start of it. Because Cole came in and Cole was great before that, let's be honest. Uh, the, the, the OG guys, a lot of them had, uh, have not hit the level. I don't think Paige has. Omega was great before he came in there, just needed the platform. But Paige came in very raw. And to go to where he is, it's great. Uh, it was wonderful because you did have two kind of like almost completely different, even though they're both Adams. We had, yeah, Cole, like, because he joined into starting Bullet Club's sort of total kink or fetish for having subgroups. We had the super clique coming into existence, <laughs> um, which was a wonderful little team, and we're finally getting them back together in AEW this week. Uh, well, at the time of recording this week for the, the Grand Slam event. Uh, against Jurassic Express. I don't know about you, but I'm absolutely fucking excited for that. <laughs> of course he does. Christian's on the other team. Christian's on the other team. He's going to lose, but this is why, like, this, well, to be honest, it should have been Marco Stunt because he's the fall guy in that tag team. So. Yeah, but let's be brutally honest. Christian's a bigger draw for that match than Marco is. In all fairness to Marco. <laughs> <laughs> No, no disrespect, Marco. You, but you, like, you're entertaining that. But for the purpose of like a legit, a legit team that's going to actually stand a chance, we need, we, we need, need Christian. Christian. See we if need this Christian. was. 
If it was a normal, sorry, going to tangent quickly. If it was a normal uh, rampage, yes, but it's the Grand Slam rampage. They need to have Christian. That's it, and you know, like these two came in, and this was again sort of the start of another kind of big surge for for Bullet Club with like the like the biggest accomplishment to me, and I think everyone will probably agree in 2016 was Omega winning the G1 Climax. That, that was massive. The first non-Japanese wrestler in history to win the tournament and the third person to win the tournament on their first attempt. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah, even Aye. Evil. Evil wins the bloomin' New Japan Cup right away as well. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Evil. Well, I'll, I'll have plenty to say about him later on when we get to that point. Then you worry about that. Yeah! <laughs> 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 this was, a, this was a, a wonderful moment and because that win at the G1 led to like the, the match that got me properly into independent wrestling. The, the match that broke the star system that just brought people in everywhere when we finally got to the Wrestle Kingdom and we got that main event between Omega and Okada and it just like I, I don't know if you I felt that like between that and just before we had Cody coming in but that main event in particular I think really sort of put the superstardom into that group yeah and you're perfectly right I think as well they were, they were starting to catch on with the western audience a lot more and as great as, I mean, at one point, a few years before, you Japan had cut Angle and brought Lesnar wrestling for them, and they couldn't attract the Western audience. But you've got this guy, Kenny Omega, and his pals who are bringing in a, that type of audience. So that's kind of, that's when you know something. And everybody, it's the same in anything. When you get a match with somebody that's got a buzz, if they all look at it, they'll go, oh, who's this guy? They'll look them up, and they've got cool t shirts. It's, it's the perfect formula. And this was a period that kind of led to like that kind of like a, a major boom period for New Japan and Ring of Honor because of the sort of feuds that you had going on at the time. Because you had Omega took his break for about a month and a half after getting beat, but at the same time you had the likes of um, like Omega and Cole were starting to show dissension with the Bucks caught in the middle. We, we love a good murder, we do. You had the feuds with the like the Bucks with the the Bucks with the Hardys, which was some amazing matches. We also had we had Frankie Kazarian join Bullet Club as well. It's It's such a a random one when you think about it. Like you think back now that he's the elite hunter, but he was actually in Bullet Club. Yeah, yeah, but he was in there purely to uh, pretend that he turned on Daniels, and then for then Daniels got the big title when he was there to help him. So it was kind of a. It was a fake one, but yeah, it's the fact that it was a double turn. <laughs> I completely forgot he, he did have that though. To be fair, I was, it, was, it was nice to kind of look back and think, oh yeah, he was there for a bit, even if he was just there to go, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, you had some unreal stuff. You had a, a certain Ring of Honor feud as well, but we're not going to mention that for historic purposes <laughs> because of the, the person that's involved in it. Um, he likes to party, but that's all I'm going to say about him. Dodgy. <laughs> But he likes chicken wings. 
But, you know, uh, he also gave birth to one of those um, chants which started out really fun, but I'm sure we all grew pretty bored of, like, within, well, days. <laughs> yep. Um, but, you know, in the months kind of following that, they had a, that they had these really good feuds in Ring of Honor, but in Japan, Omega was kind of having a bit of a struggle. The New Japan Cup, um, he was planning on getting another shot at the title through that, and he was eliminated in the first round by one of my favourite Japanese wrestlers. <laughs> big, big Tam. Big Tam Ishii. That, oh. man that, that, man, that man that just likes to happen to the member of Chaos, who happens to be probably... Uh, have either of you realised that Tomohiro Ishii is possibly one of the biggest storms in Bullet Club's side in its entire history? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Ave <laughs> Elliot likes to be that dick that stops them in their tracks just because he can. It's brilliant. It's actually it's actually a beautiful thing. He's like he, he's literally their immovable object. Like every time they're getting somewhere. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> yeah. No, Ishii <laughs> is the bullet club like Yano is to Moxley. Yes. yes. Moxley fears Yano. To be honest, Suzuki fears Yano as well. Suzuki's Everyone still never beat Yano in Yano. <laughs> Everyone fears Yano. Uh, yeah, this this was like a boom period in regards to match quality because I, I felt that 2017, some of the matches you had coming out of, uh, particularly Bullet Club, and this was a kind of, as you mentioned earlier, Stephen, it's this period where they they still done heel shenanigans at times now, but it felt like they were toned down compared to what they used to be. There wasn't as much dodginess. Um, you had the likes of, yeah, well, the 60-minute time limit draw at Dominion a complete barn, barnstormer. And then you had Homelander, I mean Cody, starting to starting to show his true colours. The dissension. The drama. Honestly, God, Steve, I'm amazed you've never had to deal with this in the pod. <laughs> we love drama. <laughs> yeah, it's... Um, I prefer not to talk little about Cody, but no... And, uh, yeah, I mean, Homelander, whatever his name is, that's... Um, Grant, you made that call on the GOATS questions last week on uh, Homelander actually showing up in AEW would be absolutely amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it would be an absolute beautiful thing. And, you know, this was, I, I, again, this was like sort of like a heavy period. And really looking back, the early formation of AEW, when you looked at the group involved, you can almost see where everything starts to come together, you know. Going all the way back to like the G1 special in the USA, Cody going after Okada for the, the heavyweight title, Stephen being absolutely heartbroken that Okada yet again won a match. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I can accept that one. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, like, and it also led to like Omega getting, getting his win back on Ishii, getting that IWGP United States Heavyweight Championship. And, you know, again, Bullet Club having a presence in the G1 with three members that year. It was, it was generally, this was actually, to me, it was such a hard period to keep on top of everything because Bullet Club seemed to have someone in every promotion in every division going after every belt. And I feel though I have to give an honourable mention to the great actor Stephen Amell for also getting involved in Bullet Club. <laughs> yeah! Like, like, how great was that? The fact that, like, him and Cody being friends, how, how well has that worked out for both men involved? Honestly, I could talk about that bromance for days and for for years. Like everyone knows that I actually praise WWE for actually doing something right. First of all, they create they created a bromance, right? And the fact that it's worked out both for Stephen and Cody. I mean, Stephen 
got to obviously wrestle at a few Ring of Honor shows. He wrestled it all in as well. Um, given the fact that he's not a wrestler, he is a professional actor who does his own stunts. He actually did not too horribly for someone who'd never wrestled. Um, but then Cody obviously got to bulk up his acting resume as well by having a recurring role in Arrow for season five. And let me tell you, Cody played a great villain. He was really good at it. And I, I, I really, really wanted up when he came back for like a a cameo in season six, I was buzzing. I was absolutely buzzing. I would love to see him like I would love to see him do like another villain like an actual villain role. I don't want see if they could transform him to like being a villain in AEW instead of having him being like, you know, the over the top I am the face of this company. Yes. Like, I, I totally I, I would totally be behind that and I and I feel that like this was a great example of Bullet Club ex, like Bullet Club actually growing to that point where it was more than just a stable within a single promotion. They were everywhere, not just in your promotions, they but were taking over the world. They literally were, as Kenny's taking over the world. You know, they were, this this to me like thinking of other stables that have achieved that level of stardom. To me, it puts them up there amongst the all-time greats, like your DXs and stuff like that. Where even people who aren't wrestling fans would be like, I know who Bullet Club is. Yeah, it's, they're probably them and NWO are the two that stand out because NWO had their own versions in different countries too. Uh, DX were massive in WWE, but they never really had the same, never stretched globally to something like that. Nobody really tried to do DX again. But yeah, Bullet Club and NWO are the two who stand out as everybody tries to want to take what they've got and replicate it. Aye, that's it. And you know, this, this, this was like a very long sort of like. Omega was probably one of the longest periods for for being a leader, but probably also the one marred with the most infighting and dissension, as we had the likes as we had the likes of the the firing squad coming into things with the elite the elite essentially being told you're getting a wee bit too big for this. You know, it was it was honestly it was just such a storied history. You had the firing squad coming into it. You had Omega finally finally getting that win over over Okada, that two falls to one. Heavy, heavy long match. Um, I, I believe it was all three of us were involved in the last conversation about that about that match and deciding which one of the four was the greatest. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that is on the back catalogue, people. Get it, listen to it. It's a belter. <laughs> I, I quite like the firing squad stuff. I think it was quite... I think they needed it. I think they needed something a bit different. But for these guys in the background, they did something to push them on. And I think they kept, it was the, the end fighting because like Tonga... Fale and that they weren't really involved as much in the end fight and stuff. It was pretty much like it was pretty much elite versus elite for the majority of it. So to kind of see these guys going, Tonga especially going, hold the bus here. You know, this was my thing. And yeah, it, it, it should be what it sh- what it was. And he essentially brought it back to what it what, what originally was, just nasty heels. And Tonga Tonga doesn't give a heck about being the most popular guy in the crowd. Which is something quite surprisingly likable about <laughs> as weird as, as it's like I don't care. Yeah, cool. I quite like you. No, it's, you're you're right, and you know this was a point where like the Bullet Club was getting very bloated. I mean, we had another new subgroup with the Golden Elite because Ibushi had kind of came into the fold with with Omega, and I don't know, like Sarah, did you find it almost as jarring as me at the time that you had Ibushi trying to come in and be like, "These are all bad guys," but I want to be with the cool kids. Yeah, I mean, like we all we all know. Well, 
we try to know what goes on inside the mind of Kota Bushi. Um, it is a land of mystical, magical unicorns where he believes it is 25 hours in a day and books give him bad thoughts or they put thoughts in his head. So, like, I swear, I still think we could do an entire show about the inside mind of Kota Bushi. And I would love, as a, as a psychologist in the making, I would love to study his brain and what just goes on in there. Um, so <laughs> it kind of did feel like it's just like, yeah, these are the bad guys, but he's my pal. And it, it's like putting up with your pal's dickhead pals just because, you know, he's your best pal. And you're like, or no, the better way to put it is putting up with your boyfriend's dickhead pals just because it's your boyfriend. Like, we all we all know, like, the speculation of Kenny and Kota Bishop, where they actually really together, blah, 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 blah. Um, but that's the that's sort of the equivalent of what it is. It was Kota Bushi just wanted to like hang out with Kenny, but he had to deal with his dickhead pals at the same time. It's what Laura says about this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm well, a delight. Thank you very much. Laura loves me. And I think she's learned to tolerate me and Jack, all right, a decade with the rest. Tolerates <laughs> the key word there. She tolerates me, it's fine. <laughs> That's it. She 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 just chose because well she had to settle for something that would be at least dependable. <laughs> but you know we I'll could do a whole show we, we could do a whole show on that just in its own. But that's a different story altogether. <laughs> anyway, back to the wrestling. <laughs> but yeah, that's you another know, show. <laughs> this was all kind of like you know it was a lot of like I'm uh, looking back. I've seen a lot of people sort of that are big in the, like the wrestling Twitter circle that kind of did not like this whole firing squad and coding that they felt it was too convoluted and, that. and maybe to an extent it was but I feel like you have said it was also needed and it eventually led later on to where the, the elite left they they became their own thing um, pretty much that was kind of the point where it was decided that they were all going over to go and form all elite and it kind of this to me felt like a bit of a different change in leadership when Jay White finally stepped in his his ascension into the ranks kind of felt. I don't know if you feel the same. It felt a bit different compared to the the trend we had before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. They did tease it at one point a couple of years before it, after Kenny lost to Okada the first time. He kind of he thought he said he was bringing Jay White in, and Jay White went to Chaos instead. Yeah, but he never really fit Chaos. I don't think. I think he was a better. The Bullet Club was always a fit for him, but I think. He didn't fit the elite style, but he fit the original Bullet Club style, which is why he's the perfect guy that can all lead the you, you know, revamped version. Tell evil that. I do. Yes, I will. I will tell evil that if I ever need <laughs> I was. I mean, when you look that at that, Jay White is a leader, and that. Because <laughs> I mean, you look at what happened in that kind of 2018 period. You know, like we had the elite. Well, they had all in. Yours truly was lucky enough to be there for that event, alive. Absolutely glorious, the memories. But yeah, getting to see like sort of Jay White coming in, and at that time, you know, he, he came into Chaos, and it, he made it clear right from the get-go with Chaos, he was only there until he had done everything he needed to do, because he made it clear to Akada he wanted that belt. And I feel that Jay White's leadership, it, it brought things back to what Bullet Club originally was. The Elite done their thing to elevate it, bring it to superstardom but I needed to go back to its roots sadly a little bit too much maybe for some people's liking (laughs) (laughs) 
I don't know if either of you two remember the whole little bit when like they like pretty much you know, everyone had decided all their sides and you had the two unwanted stepchildren that just didn't fit in anywhere. Who would we chase? My eyes. And you, Juro. Yeah. <laughs> Still unwanted. They should have kicked them out. They should have went and formed their own stable. Them, Yano, uh, Taguchi, you know. The you leave Yano alone. How comedy dare rele- you? No, they could have been a big comedy how release stable. Dare you? Could, no, the, Yano could have been the leader. He could have brought them in. He said, you guys can join me as comedy relief guys, you know, and then, you know. Yano is not a comic relief guy. Yano is a serious wrestler. And he is perfect for chaos. You leave him alone. Grant, if, help me out here. But if, if they had formed this stable with these two from Bullet Club, keeping it on top topic, if the Forbidden Door ever gets knocked with WWE, then they could retreat truth and it could have been a really big stable. <laughs> right, now I'm going to give Stephen that one when you add our truth into no. that. Because that does sound fucking hilarious. <laughs> I mean, it is a story yeah, was fucking hilarious, all right? Oh, it was, but and this was uh, this was an interesting bit because you had that kind of period where, where it was, it was like Bullet Club didn't really have a leader, and then just out of nowhere, Tamatonga is like, um, he's in charge now. We've, we've just decided it. It's, I was, I was like, wow, wow, some diplomacy within Bullet Club. No one had to get battered to decide at this time. Who'd have thought? Um, and it it led to that sort of the initial the initial period that. I feel very mixed on this, and I want to hear both your thoughts on this one. The fact that I felt Jay White coming into Bullet Club was a very hot thing. He won the title off of Tanahashi pretty quickly after Tana got it from Omega. And then I feel like they just screwed him over just to put the belt back in Okada at the, the G1 Supercard. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, I loved the G1 Supercard. Like, when just watching it as a show. Um, but... Putting it on Jay White just just to put it back on Okada, like not even too long later, because what was it that he basically won won the match against Okada at Wrestle Kingdom, and then it wasn't even too long later. It was like less than a, like less than a month later, a couple of months later. I uh, like it. He, he won the the title of Tanahashi in the fe- in the February, um, mm-hmm. and then and then lost it. But I lost it to Akada on his first defence on the 6th of April. It's like he it's, held it for like two months. It's very much the we need the heel to have the belt to give it to Okada. For the uh, big pop. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, no disrespect to Jay White, but if you want to do the G1 Supercard and you want a mega match, you know, you do another Tanahashi Okada match and people will like that. But to then do this whole hot potatoing of the belt didn't look great. I mean, and the G1 Supercard. I mean, I know Sarah said she liked it, but there's a lot of people who didn't like the Ring of Honor side of things, so... I like really Cheeseburger, help. that's why. <laughs> Not many people like Billy Ray that night. I think that was part of the issue. <laughs> no, no, I don't like Billy Ray. I liked Cheeseburger. Aye, that was a, that was a, that, that whole show was a very a very mixed bag. Um, Bullet Club didn't really have too much representation on that overall card. Um other than like, well, we had Taiji Ishimori, and we also kind of not long before that we had the, the to me one of the best signing bullet clubs had in the last several years, El Fantasmo. Uh, ah, B. That man knows how to be a dickhead so well. I was going to say he's a dickhead unless he's going up against the nine nine. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and then he's the most loved person ever. He told me off for wearing the wrong Bullet Club shirt that day. It was like, how dare you not wear my shirt? I was like, oh, oh no. <laughs> Still absolutely hilarious for the fact that me- meeting him and uh, Hikuleo afterwards and the, the pictures yeah. for all of us with, with Hikuleo, it's like, oh, Grant, you look yeah, relatively like, okay. He's a tall boy. <laughs> it's like, you put me beside him, it's like, ah, oh, yeah, he looks he looks quite tall. And you put you and Courtney beside him, it's one of the funniest no. things I've ever seen. <laughs> Uh, that was that was a great day. Yeah, like El Phantasmo coming in, that was a, that was a beautiful, beautiful signing. Um, and what would eventually become Bullet Club's cutest tag team with Ishimori. Ishimori's great. It's amazing what you think what age Ishimori is. It's like you should not be that age. Ah, is it oh, no yeah. like his forties or something like that? It's uh, something like that. I'm sure he's like early forties. Forty? Uh, no, he's thirty-eight. Sorry, so he shouldn't. Aye, so he's- He's in his very late thirties. Well, he's only eight years older than me. Oh my god! Ah, he's, he's like got, you should, you should be in your early thirties at least when you look at him. He's like got boyish good looks, built like a brick shit house, and moves. Well, that is also like the the racist version of basically stereotyping. Is that you know Chinese and Japanese people tend to look so much younger than what they actually are, unless you're evil and you just look older. That's because everything is evil. <laughs> Even his face is evil. But you know, like from from that point onwards, we had a we've we've had a. Some people say you know evil was a leader in Bullet Club. Now, as far as I'm concerned, is in it? my mind, there's there's only ever been four leaders in Bullet Club officially. Anyone else has been a pretender to the throne. Um, and you know, to this day, Jay White is still in charge. But three years now, that's that is the longest tenure of any Bullet Club leader yeah. so far, and. I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. What Grant, do, you do you think? think though? Well, do you think we should go on and edit the Wikipedia page because of whoever updated it claims evil is the sixth leader? I mean, evil's two greatest achievements in life is getting people to pretend, getting people to think he is the leader of Bullet Club, even though he's clearly not, and getting you should I to agree to marry him. That is also two, true. It's two of his greatest achievements, let's be brutally honest. I mean, I'm I not mean, even going to. I'm not even going to count his world title run because it's shit. (laughs) It is basically just going to go in the same direction as it did with Kenny and the boxes, like breaking off because you've got Evil and who was it? Yujiro, right? They're like the wee pals. And then you can see that they're trying to like split them, like split the entire faction down the middle. It's like who's going to be with Jay White, who's going to be with Evil. Um, which is why I think it was it's a very, very smart thing for Jay to go out recruiting, shall we say, while he's over in America. And, you know, one of the greatest signings of the modern era in Baby. Yes. Yes. That's uh, Christopher, Chris Bay, which we... we, Chris, we Baby! Chris Bay! Because Chris Bay, Chris Bay does deserve a special mention. You know, what, during this time with Jay White as well, they've had numerous... They brought El Fantasmo and... Um, another fantastic one to me is and also one of the most in- incredibly dramatic entrances to Bullet Club, Kenta. See, I was always surprised. Like, see, when Kenta actually first appeared, I thought he was going to be the one to perhaps challenge Jay White for the leadership of Bullet Club. Just because like, he had all that um, momentum coming behind him since his release from NXT that you just thought. And also like his run with the, the US Championship um, briefcase was just a thing of magic. Yeah, but he never won it. He it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. 
They should have won it for that long. They should admit he should have beat Moxley. But no, Moxley drops it to, to Lance Archer so Lance Archer can give it back to Tanahashi. No, give the belt to Kenta. I mean, and with all fairness, can Tanahashi, drop it to Tanahashi. Tanahashi went and broke Kenta's briefcase. So. And, that, and that's it we had with that. Like, Kenta to me was a big signing, but again, mixed momentum since came in. And I, I do feel to an extent the last, especially during the pandemic, Bullet Club has kind of had an identity crisis, um, especially when they decided to bring in Evil and Dick Togo. I yeah. honestly feel, I just think that's the pandemic forcing what should have been, I, I think that was going to be Osprey originally. Yeah. yeah. I, I, they kind of had to shoehorn someone in. And the choice of Evil was, you know, an interesting one. I mean, his subgroup now, the, the House of Torture, is what you would describe a house party watching Wrestle Kingdom in, in his match main events. That is a yeah. torture to me, to be brutally honest. He's got Show in there. Show's a, show's a cracking wrestler, let's be brutally honest. He's yeah, said I talked about Chris Bay. Show's a great addition in there. It's just a shame that he's been lapped on the evil side of things as opposed to the Jay White side of things. Yeah, that's that's this is like a, you know, very, like, they, they brought evil in. And don't get me wrong, the shock value when it first happened was, wow, did not see that coming at all. But now it's like, that was fucking pointless. And... Ever since then, it's like uh, uh, in the general history of the World Cup since then, it's been a very sort of odd time for them because yes, Jay White now has the open weight belt and he's, looks great with it, but the pandemic has really impacted the Bullet Club's ability to kind of be everywhere like the usual would. And it's, they're, it's they're, they're changing that now. They are changing that because we have the first ever African American wrestler. And first ever act impact star in Bullet yes. Club. And this is one that I really hope they don't drop the ball with because I have fucking better know. I'll be raging. I think I think it's great they've got shown to Bullet Club because he does actually look the part for it, but putting him into the house of torture is immediately putting my big fears in them. But Chris Bay being away from the house of torture or let's face it, I'd rather clam my balls in the kitchen draw than watch an evil main event again. Yeah. Uh, but like to, to think that we could have Chris Bay and we know that El Fantasmo's back over in Canada, Taiji Ishimori's coming over to America, Jay White's there. And Nick Vallejo's there as well. Yeah, I mean, this, this, is a, this is a potential. After a very turbulent history of many ups and many, many downs, this coming out of the pandemic era and back to getting things going again, what do we all think? I think this could be this could be a very defining moment in the his, in the history of Bullet Club as to where, how much longer they can endure as a faction. Oh yeah, they're definitely splitting off. Definitely splitting off. I mean, let's just find out if someone kills Evil. Show to kill Evil. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they <laughs> Milano to kill Evil. <gasps> they need to split off. It's just how they're going to do it. Uh, you make a great point with all the guys in Canada and America because I think that's the big thing they've lost since the elite were there, the kind of that presence in the Western market again. You know, so having Jay White and Impact there, having Chris Bay being a great addition in there, the guys are competing regularly on New Japan Strong, I think it's a great idea, you know. And there's matches in there. I mean, they've got, um, they could uh, feud with a lot of guys that's not in Japan, you know, United Empire have got a very much uh, non-Japanese centre to them at the moment with Osprey and Aussie Open. So that could be something, some sort of heel versus heel stuff. That the future is definitely bright. They just must get rid of evil to do it. 
That's a weird, yes. like a weird, like dramatic metaphor there. But yeah, they must get rid of people. <laughs> Does that not just sound like like the, like the tagline of any fantasy movie ever made? It was dark <laughs> times. There was chance for prosperity, but first they must Kill. get rid of evil. And that brings us really up to up to where we are now in the history. And you know, we have had to skim a lot of things because otherwise. Uh, uh, We'd probably be here until like this time tomorrow. Until we were dead. What I'd like to talk about next, because there are a couple other things I'd like to talk about. I want to get like a sort of couple of favourite moments and matches from each of you from out the history of Bullet Club in regards to your who you feel has been your favourite leader matches moments. I'll start with you, Stephen. Uh, leader wise, I've got to go with the OG uh, Prince David. I think in terms of impact, you know, it got it started and. I feel like it's shifted them. I feel like Omega would have been fine. I feel like Styles obviously was solidified. Uh, White was could have, was still doing stuff, so he didn't really need it as much. But to Devitt, that was kind of a bit of a transformation in his career, and it got him to where he is. Uh, my favourite match is also with Devitt. It's an underrated match. Obviously, we've ta- I've talked until I'm blown in the face about the Nakamura Styles match and the Omega Series World Cadder. But there's a great gem from Wrestle Kingdom 6, or is it Wrestle Kingdom 8? Wrestle Kingdom 8, maybe. It's uh, David versus Ibushi for the junior heavyweight title, where uh, we first get the sight of the kind of demon aspect of Bala when he comes out of the coffin in his entrance. Uh, it's an absolute cracking match. Uh, my favourite moment is one that you kind of briefly mentioned, Grant, was the arrival of Kenta as well. Uh, I was struggling all day to think of a moment because the one I had in my head is one that cannot be named, which really annoyed me. <laughs> but yeah, I would, I would I go with the Kenta one because I thought it was just great. Topsy turvy moment. You had the kind of him come, he came, made the save, then he made the heel turn, and then we got the Shibata cheese. At, uh, cheese? Shibata cheese. <laughs> I give you, I give you around David Campbell too much. That sounds like something that he would say some Shibata cheese. The, Shib- right, the Shibata cheese. Shabbat of Shabbat the tease. <laughs> the tease of Shabbata. Potentially sure coming back in the uh, feuding with Kenta and just the beat down of him. There was a lot of topsy turvy moments in that one. It was great. I feel like you you were spot on about Kenta. He could have he's not had a lot of luck with the pandemic and everything like that at all to kinda of hit his momentum, but I think he's a good shout. Uh he's in the G one, isn't he? I can't remember I briefly yeah. he's in the G one. Yeah. His opening match he lost to Yano. Um, who won yeah. the, the, so the move and it's so been dubbed Whole Roasted Kenta Whole oh, Roasted Kenta so he did yeah, yeah I think he's an outside bet maybe to win the G1 this, uh, to get to the final of the G1 this year no, uh, going to win it so yeah that's my one uh, it's very heavy David for me but yeah that uh, Kenta moment's amazing solid picks what about you Sarah um, well, it's quite it's quite biased because like I really only started watching New Japan um, really when it was actually Kenny um, that was leader of the Bullet Club, and I think this is really what brought the Western audience and actually brought them to proper stardom. Like people knew who Bullet Club was, but only if you were like a diehard New Japan fan like I didn't know who the fuck Bullet Club were until <laughs> Kenny etc were all all in and then when like when Cody joined and you're like oh hell it's like he's literally just been released from WWE so it was that and the fact that everything just sort of managed to go everywhere so like you had the Bucks and Adam Cole and Adam Page 
um, kicking around in like Ring of Honor, and then there was like everywhere. Bullet Club was just everywhere, and you're just like, oh my god, they're taking over the world. So that's like I do believe that like, like my my favorite leader is definitely got to be Kenny. Um, and some of the probably like the highlights, um, like match wise. I mean, you've got to have like Kenny's entire G one run like that. That just from start to finish, it felt like it was flawless. And that I think that's what like the power bullet club did. It's just like because like we have discussed, the leaders have gone on to do something for like in their first attempt um like pretty much all the time um so that was probably like one of my favorite things but yeah kenny's entire g1 run um was just Mwah! chef kisses <laughs> wonderful choices from you both and you know it's it, like all four leaders have done something special and it's no slight in styles but i would i would go with jay white as my favorite leader um, and in particular because of one big story moment and match in particular. And that was the match with the Bushy at Wrestle Kingdom and what it done to Jay White after it. Mm. That backstage promo of a broken and dejected Jay White. The first time the cool exterior ever got cracked. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it led to the month of, is he going to be in the Rumble? Is he going to be in the Rumble? He's going to be in the Rumble. He's not going to be in the Rumble. And the Rumble comes. He's not in the Rumble. And the next day, he shows up in New Japan. Oh, what a blooming. What a tease he is. Being the biggest tease in the world because he was silent. He disappeared. And we had no bloody clue where he was. Like, me and Grant are like, oh, no, he's probably back in New Zealand, spending time with some families. And he's not been able to see them. Um, but really, he was just taking the fucking piss. He was probably just, you know, sauntering around Japan with a bloody mask on, so no one knew it was him. I mean, Jay White's such a good teaser. I mean, the fact that he still teases that he's going to open an OnlyFans to this day and people keep falling for it is absolutely incredible. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that, that, that's it. I bet you if Scott was here, we probably would have had Scott choosing AJ Styles for his top leader as well. Um, it was... It's it's fantastic because that's thing that's eight years of history and it's not even the longest running stable in New Japan when you think about it, mm-hmm. but it's one that has completely differed itself from any other stable with that mainstream breakout that extends beyond borders. It goes beyond anything. It it, it brought something that could give a, a viable competition to the WWE, for example. Yeah, I I think the thing about it, the which one of the most historically significant stables of all time because historic. You look at. You look at the NWO and they obviously helped shift the Monday Night Wars to WCW temporarily, but at the same time they were kind of also something that helped to downfall WCW because they bloated them too much and then they struggled to kind of maintain it and they ended up having a lot of big egos as a result of that. Whilst you look at Bullet Club, the careers that they've led off of, you know, Bala, you know, Cole, some of the the guys in the elite and also, as you've obviously mentioned, without Bullet Club, we wouldn't have all in without all in. We wouldn't have had AW, and we wouldn't have had that viable option for other people as well. So, and we also probably, I don't know if we would have had the Okada Omega series the way we had it. I'm sure Omega would have had lots of great matches, but would he have had them at that time with that at that you know pinnacle? Oh. Hard to tell. That's it. it's 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 you got. We've all got to thank Fergal Devitt, Finn Balor for like 
just pulling the trigger on that Bullet Club thing back 80 years ago because the ripple effect that started out was a small little ripple in the pond and it's created waves that will be forever felt in the wrestling industry. Yeah. But we've covered a little bit of being, we talked about overblokedness. Now, right now, the faction is on 16 members with multiple sub-factions. Yeah. Do, we all agree, do we all agree that it's a little bit overbloated at the moment? <laughs> Get rid of Chase Owens. Kill Chase Owens. Oh, you told me, you said they need the fall guy earlier on, and now you're saying get rid of the fall guy. Make up your mind. Get rid of Chase, but keep Yujiro for your fall guy, because Yujiro's pretty funny and he always brings out Peter. Exactly. Plus, you can't really discard a pimp, whereas Chase Owens is just Chase Owens. Mm-hmm. Just don't bring back Cody Hall. <laughs> oh, God, no. No, no. no, I, I, no. I don't think Cody Hall's There's ever going to back in New Japan. <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't be allowed back in Japan. Just, just no. <laughs> oh god, but yeah, I mean that, that. Yeah, that that's a nice, simple, short question. That's like we don't even need to go over over that. Is it overblowed right now? Yes, it is. Yes. And the last thing is we've discussed because we always love it. Who is a wrestling fan doesn't love a bit of fantasy booking? Yeah. So, to an extent, we have kind of talked about who we'd put out, but just to kind of solidify it, what members would you put out? Immediately, and who would you want to bring in if you had that? Uh, if you had that choice, I'll start with you first one, Sarah. Well, get rid of Chase Owens. Get rid of Chase Owens. <laughs> just, just mainly because you know, speaking out and everything. Nothing to do with everything else. Just so, <laughs> like I would say, hmm, hmm. Keep Chris May, obviously, because she just needs some, you know, cocky charisma. Get rid of Dirk Togo. Keep El Fantasma. Fuck evil. Mm, Gado's quite funny, actually. We'll keep Gado. Uh, Hikaleo, keep Hikaleo. Jado, mm, no. Jay White, yes. Kenta, yes. Sho, yes. Ishimori, yes. Gorilla Sedesna, yes. Takahashi, yes. Um, And then keep Jay White, obviously. Just Jay White, just <laughs> the leader in fuck evil. And just send them to the nether regions. They'll probably like try and take over chaos next. <laughs> like I want my own faction and is there anyone that you'd love to bring in oh that I would love to bring in oh well because well Chris Bay was one that I really wanted <laughs> um, but ooh, I mean from in oh this is hard <laughs> oh this is hard oh this is hard Um. Oh, um, um. Oh, I don't know. Oh, come back to me. Let me think about it. I'll let you think of that one. Stephen, I'll go to you for the who you'd love to see out and who you'd love to see in. Oh, Chuck Evil right away. Uh, probably Chuck <laughs> Dick, Dick Togo as well. Uh, yeah, have to, you have to. Yeah, I would also <laughs> Chuck Chase Owens out too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd keep the fall guy there. Um, I wouldn't change much else in terms of who's in it. I think the rest of the guys are quite solid. If you take the guys out of it, I would keep Show in, you know, I'd keep the other two out because, yeah, I think he would flourish under Jay White. Uh, this is obviously weird considering who I would kick out. If I was to fantasy pick him there, I'd love to put Io Shirai in the group if she was back, if she was not wrestling in WWE. I think she's great where she is now, but if, if she was in that environment, I think she'd be great. Um, a left field choice for somebody who maybe be quite good in it, uh, Eddie Kingston in AEW. Oh, well, that, would, that, that would actually, I, I could see that working because he's a very good mouthpiece and he'd be a good enforcer. Oh, I know. 
Oh, oh, Sarah's, Sarah's got. I want to oh. hear Sarah's idea. I want Ricky Starks in it. Oh I want God. Ricky Starks. I actually love that idea. I love it. Hook, Hook, Hook needs to be in Bullet Club. David Campbell. I can, I can already hear the sound of David Campbell creaming his pants at that. <laughs> you know what they need? Send they Hook. need said Hook. Yeah, I, I mean know. that. Ricky Starks would be a really good one. Uh, a less watered down carrying cross could be interesting. Oh. Very, very good. I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw one out to you as a, as a possible idea because, you know, you can never have enough mouthpieces and that. But could you imagine MGF? Oh, it'd be interesting. It would be interesting. Yeah, I, I, I think he would. I think he would be like a solid sort of like grounds for like if you were looking for a bit of drama someone that could come in for a few months rile people up a little bit and you know sort of fuel some dissension but also make some because the, the idea of him and Jay White having a feud over control of Bullet Club and the promos that would go with it I mean current Roman Reigns and Paul Heyman if you looked at it that way as well yeah if you're, if you're looking for something in a similar mode to Chris Bay as well uh, Cedric Alexander is a good shout very good shout, you know. And there's like, and I think you're right, like the idea like uh, of female members to Bullet Club, especially for things like the US and that. It would be a great expansion with them because there's so much talent you could tap into there. Because like, could you imagine Britt Baker? Yeah. Joining her fiance. It'd be interesting. It, like, it, it will surprise me if it happens at some point that she joins the Super Elite. Maybe when she's done being the women's champion. It's it's one of those things like Bullet Club, if anything, it's it's hard to fantasy book in because it's so big. You really need to... Diana Perrazzo. Oh, very good. You could could cherry pick a couple of women for different promotions to make like almost like a female subgroup within the the, the Bullet Club that could cover all the different promotions. Yeah, the take over the world. The forbidden door is well and truly open. These things could these things could always happen. Apparently the only thing with Bullet Club is everything has to be approved by Gado. Oh yeah. Which which if if that is the case, I want to ask Gado, was he pissed when he decided to approve evil? Chase Owens. (laughs) Yeah, Chase needs Chase needs to go. (laughs) It really does. Fucking Robbie Eagles. When he was part of Bullet Club was better than Chase Owens. Exactly, and that even wasn't that exciting itself. <laughs> exactly, Robbie Eagles is more exciting now. He's a fantastic little junior heavyweight champion right now, and you know, we, like, we could we could honestly go on about this for ages, but you know, we have had a nice a nice entertaining show. It's been actually quite lovely, just being such a small group, and we've even finished it in time for the Bake Off as well, because you know. <laughs> That 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 that's that's the next thing I want to see. I want to see wrestlers doing the Brit- like the Great British Bake Off. I want to see like Bullet Club these chaos. These I like. I want someone from the Bloodline. So I want to see one of the Usos in the Bake Off against like Chris Bay, and then we could have like someone from the Elite, like Hangman Adam Page, making some sort of cake while drinking whiskey and that. Let's that could I be want, a future show. I want them to play like the floor is lava and see what happens. Ah, uh, you have. <laughs> You have a hangman. You have hangman Adam Page baking against Dexter Loomis. <laughs> you could, I could just imagine like an interpromotional British Bake Off. That would be like one of the the best <laughs> ideas. 
I'm going to spitball it for a future show idea just for a laugh. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, that, that, that show could potentially end up in our future back catalogue because that just sounds like a complete time machine fuck up there. <laughs> <laughs> I have had an absolute pleasure getting to talk Bullet Club because it's not very often I get to talk it properly in this level of depth without David Campbell trying to implement his expertise on ciabattas and things like that. So, uh, ciabatta cheese. We better ciabatta cheese. That's, 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 that, that is the ta- that is the tagline for the episode. Would you like some ciabatta cheese with that? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. yes, very thankful that David Campbell was not on this. Like, not, not I don't love David Campbell. It's just his expertise is maybe not that good. But yes, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, sir. Oh, thank you very much, and Chris, baby. <laughs> and thank you, Stephen. Thank you, bossman, for letting me host this one. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you for letting me rant about Cody Hall. Ah, oh, it was a pleasure. <laughs> there, there's a future episode. Like, everyone just chooses someone that they have a, a complete dislike of and we just take five minutes each to rant about them and make a compilation episode. I mean, that could work. Uh, but yes, from us at Eat Sleep Suplex Repeat, please check out everything in the back catalogue. Keep listening to us. Keep supporting us. Follow us all on Twitter. Watch us all ramble all about our crazy ideas and answer the goat's question, please, every week. He will not stop going on about it till you do. Uh, thank you for listening, everyone. Enjoy. <laughs> there now follows an enthusiastic advertisement for Quiz Showdown. Hello, guys. Welcome to Quiz Showdown. I'm Daniel Campbell. And in the show, you're going to see the members of the Eat Sleep Suplex retweet team go through a very strange quiz. We don't know what the heck's going on with it, but you're going to have to watch to find out. Go check out on the YouTube channel now. That was an enthusiastic advert for Quiz Showdown.